Joseph dies, we get into where Pharaoh had forgot about, about Joseph and, and some things have come up, and now the people of Israel are enslaved to Egypt. Matter of fact, they're enslaved and they begin building. And they're ruthlessly driven. They're, they're, they're to build and they're to, 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 to build the things that the Egyptians want them to build um, so they can move on. And, and Moses shows up and Moses says, hey, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go, right? To go and worship the Lord. Matter of fact, it starts off as a request with just a three-day journey. And Pharaoh continues to say no, so then we understand what goes on with the 10 plagues. Moses says, every time you say no, there's going to be these plagues that rise up. Pharaoh, at the, at the end of the 10th plague, finally says, fine, get out, go, I want you to leave. And so the people begin to leave, and that's where we pick up the story. They're walking, the Israelites are marching out of Egypt. Matter of fact, it says anywhere from two to three million people. Now, if you could kind of put that into perspective, if we were to take all of the Kansas City metroplex, suburbs and everything, and march everybody out of Kansas City, heading to Columbia. And we got a river to cross, or a sea to cross to a certain extent. That would be the idea of what's taking place. And Moses comes in, and he begins to lead the people out. And as he leads the people out, the people begin to wander into this area. And there are some great truths here that we have to understand in order to apply to our life. And I, I think about it in so many ways. You know, this last year, we went hunting. I go hunting every year in October with my uncle, and we were at the top of this overlook. And the year before, I had walked down this ridgeline and it dropped off into this valley. And we saw some elk this year and we're seeing them across the way. And I look at my uncle, I'm like, hey, you want to go? And he's like, mm. and he looks down. Not really. That's like 450, 500 feet down. And I was like, oh no, it's easy. We go down this way and we'll drop off this ridgeline, goes all the way into the valley. And then we'll just walk back the valley. And he's like, so we sat there for about 15 minutes, and he said, okay, let's go. And I said, all right. So I stood up, and I started walking. He goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going down this way. I walked it last year. And he says, well, I'm just going to go down right here. And I went, Uncle Jim, you're 68. I'm 48. I'm not going down that. He's like, oh, it'll be fine. You go that way. I'll go this way. All right, whatever. So I walk all the way down. I mean, like, probably to the tune of a quarter to half mile down this ridge, down into the bottom of the valley, and I walk all the way back. And I sat there for the next 45 minutes. So I got all the way down, the long way, and I looked back up the mountain. I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to figure out a way down. I said, man, if you'd have followed me, you'd already be down here. <laughs> and he's like, shut up. <laughs> right? I mean, you could get the picture of what's taking place, but I want you to understand what ends up taking place here in this time and in this situation. The people of Israel have been enslaved for so many years, and they've gotten used to slavery. As a matter of fact, I want to point it or, or paint a picture for you that the reality is a lot of us are used to the slavery that we've created in our lives with the sin that so easily entangles us. And it's easier to always look back and to go back into slavery than it is to walk in the freedom that God has called us to. And so as we jump in over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about various roads on the road to redemption. And I do want to encourage you with this. I want to give you a couple things that are coming up this week. Number one, Wednesday night is going to be very important. 
And, and I want to I say it this way. God works through praying people more than he ever works through just obedience without prayer. You can be obedient in all the works that you do, but if you're not a praying person, you're missing out on the power and the authority of God working in your life. And what I want to encourage you to do is to join us on Wednesday night, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to be praying for each other. We're going to be praying for our community. We're going to be praying for those people that you feel like the Lord has laid on your heart that you're to invite to Easter. And we're also going to be praying specifically over the packets we're going to be handing out. We're going to be preparing packets. It won't take us long. We've got all the material. We just need to stuff it in bags. But I want you to join us on, Tuesday, on, on Wednesday night at 630. We're not having any kids stuff. We've got stuff for kids that are, are, are pre-K and below, all right? But we're, we're asking teenagers, kids who are kindergarten and above are going to be in here because we want you as parents, we want our families together, serving together. So we want to invite you to be a part of that Wednesday night. We'll have times of worship. We're going to have very specific times focused on prayer. Then we're going to pack the bags because on Saturday, April 1st, we're going to go out door to door. I told you last week that I put in a request through a group called Saturate USA, and I said, hey, I want all of 64055. So they sent us an 800-pound pallet with all kinds of materials for all of 64055. And I think I told you last week, when I got it, I didn't realize how big 64055 was. It covers from here to 291, basically from 23rd all the way down to 40 Highway. It's 55,000 homes, not people, homes. And we want to we saturate our city with the gospel. So we'll have some information about our church. Now, we're not going to be able to hit all 55,000 homes, obviously. We're going to start right around here, around our church. But next Saturday, 9 a.m., April 1st, we're asking you to come and join us. We're going to hit, we're, we're hoping to hit between 1,000 and 2,000 homes. If everybody does that, if we, had, if we have everybody show up, guess what that means? Everybody could do 10 to 15 homes. We will cover an area and let them not only have a, a, a gospel presentation through video, they'll have the gospel in print form. They'll have an invite to Easter services here at the Church of Three Trails. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that. And I think it's important that we do that, that we be people who are praying over what's going on because God, listen, God wants to move people from slavery to freedom. God wants to take people out of death and into life, out of the valley of dry bones and into the, the life that God promises. So I want you to see, as we dig into this, seven things, and it's a lot, but there are gonna be seven things that I think we can learn from this text about what God wants us to know about moving forward when there seems to be no way. You know, I brought up that story about my uncle, but I want you to think about it this way. God provides a way of salvation when it feels like or seems like all hope is lost. See, that's the main theme of this text, that God provides a way to salvation when it seems like there is no other way. When it seems like all hope is gone, God provides a way, freedom from sin, 
to walk in a new life, the promised land, the life that God offers and promises each one of us. And that's how we begin to look at the story. We can't paint ourselves into this picture and go, we're the Israelites and we're just going to march out into the promised land. What we do is we learn and we say, hey, listen, we're not the Israelites, but we are the church of God. And that God has bought us from, or brought us from slavery into freedom. God has bought us or purchased our way and made a way when there seemed to be no way. So God provides a way to salvation when it seems like all hope is lost. So here's the first thing I want us to see. God doesn't always take us the shortest way, but the way that leads us to trust him. Listen to what he says. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Did you know that God oftentimes won't take you the shortest, easiest, simplest way? That God says, hey, guess what? It's not about the quickest. It's about how I work in the situation so that you trust me day in and day out. See, I believe that God knew that the Israelite people, if they faced the difficulty right off the bat, they were going to easily turn, tuck tail, and go, I'm going back. Which ends up in reality happening, right? That's exactly what the Israelite people do later on in verse, or in chapter 14. But listen, slavery seems easier when it's really outside of God's will. Most of us allow ourselves to be trapped in a form of slavery and bondage to sin. You want to know why? Because it's easy. It's easier to to give in to the sinful temptations than it is to stand firm and to walk in obedience. It's easier to take the short road to quote-unquote satisfaction and, and, and selfishness than it is to walk around and say, God, I want to be obedient, but listen, it's way easier to do this. God knows that the shortest way is not the best way oftentimes. Matter of fact, if you know anything about the Israelite people as a result of what goes on, they end up marching in the wilderness for 40 years. That's not a short time. I just turned 48 last week and I think, man, 40 years. Could you imagine being eight years old and marching in the wilderness for 40 years and being 48 and all of a sudden God's like, all right, you got to go in the promised land. Wait, whoa, whoa, hold on. Something new? Something different? Something with life? Holy cow, this is amazing. You know, I think about it, you know, just like with my uncle decided to take the shortest road, which wasn't the easiest. It actually turned out to be more difficult. Took a lot longer. Why did it take longer? Because you had to figure out how you're going to get down. And sometimes God says, listen, that may be the shortest way, but it's not the way I want to take you because the way I want to take you is going to lead you to trust me, to follow me, to give in and to be obedient in all those circumstances. I remember uh, last year, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, we were on our way to St. Louis, or not St. Louis, sorry, Indiana, and we were between here and St. Louis. And uh, I use this app called Waze. If you, if you drive a lot, Waze is, is beautiful because it'll let you know of, of accidents and things ahead of time. And so I'm using Waze, and all of a sudden it's like, exit here, go north. And I'm like, why would I exit here and go north? We were just past Columbia, so we're halfway between, well, somewhere between Columbia and St. Louis, and it's like, it tells me to exit off and go north. So I did, exit off, go north. 
And as we start driving for about 15 minutes, we went north about a mile and then we caught a highway and we just started driving. Next thing we know, that highway takes us right along the interstate and the interstate is like probably 10 miles of cars not moving anywhere. Eastbound I-70, down to nothing, not moving and we're just trucking right past them. And we get past, we see this big wreck. There's two semis, they're flipped over, interstate shut down, there's nobody going anywhere and ways takes us about a mile past it. We take another turn south and we get back on the interstate. Boom, we're gone. Probably saved us two hours in time. And I thought, that's what God does in our life, right? God realizes the wrecks and the situations ahead that could cause us to slow down or come to a complete stop. And God says, hold on, detour, I got a better way. I want you to go a different direction. It's not necessarily going to be the shortest direction, but it may save you time, or better yet, it's going to lead you to trust me in every circumstance and situation. See, the whole point is this, that God doesn't always take us the shortest way, but the way that leads us to trust him in every circumstance and situation. Here's thing number two I want us to see. In verses 20 through 22, God always travels before his people, that God is moving before you. That when God has called you to do something, guess who goes before you? Guess who moves in front of you? Guess whose spirit is leading you in a direction so that you can see the success that God wants to do in you and through you? Listen to what he says in verse 20 and 22. After leaving, leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire. And then listen to what it says in verse 22. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place from in front of the people. I want you to know this, that God throughout his word promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That God knows the direction he wants to take you, most oftentimes not the shortest route, and God says, I am preparing a way for you to move forward in obedience so that you can walk in the direction I want you to walk and you to come into contact with the people I want you to come into contact with. So my question is this, do you allow the Lord to lead you day in and day out? Do you allow God to, to, to lead you in the direction you're supposed to go, or do you settle for second best? Do you settle for saying, God, I've got it? You know, the one thing I see as a pastor oftentimes is this. When crisis and turmoil hit, just like the people of Israel, we cry out to God, and God provides a way. And then things get going good, and we're like, that's all right. God, I got it. You can be the co-pilot now. And I'll only go the direction I want to go, or I want, I'll only go your direction when I think I'm going to need you. That's oftentimes how we play it out in our lives, right? Going gets tough, man, cry out to God. God provides, going gets easy, going gets better. I'm walking on the mountaintop. All right, God, I got it. Listen, every circumstance we see throughout scriptures that God travels in front of before his people. See, this is the idea of the burning bush. Moses had a burning bush experience, right? It's called a theophany. It's where God shows up in this fire. It's a manifestation of God's presence. And listen, these pillars take us to the next level of God's presence with his people. And I want you to know that today we have the spirit of God according to scripture, 
And the Spirit of God is with us, and he strengthens us, and he empowers us, and he encourages us, and guess what? He gives us the words to speak when we don't know what to say. So listen, God is always in front of you, always going before you. Psalm 119, 105, right? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the idea that God is preparing or lighting the way for you and I. This is huge when it comes to obedience in our lives. See, some of you may think you're crazy, or some may think you're crazy. Others may say, man, this person's a fanatic when you obey God's word and God's leading. But that's obedience. That's the primary thing because God travels before his people. So listen, God provides a way to salvation when it seems like all hope is lost. Here's number three, that God will bring glory to himself through the good and the bad. Look at Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse one. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-ha-haroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of baal Zephon. And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now see, here's what happens. God is going before the Israelite people. God tells the Israelite people to do something. He even says them to turn back so that the Egyptians will think that they're confused, that there's this great confusion going on in the Israelite people, that they really want to come back. And God says, that's not the case. We're just going to make it look this way. And as I make it look this way, I'm going to do it because I'm going to bring glory to myself. I want you to know that God will bring glory to himself in every circumstance and every situation. And when he does that, it may not look the way it's always going to look or the way we expect it to look. See, Pharaoh expects Israel to go on a three-day journey, but in reality realizes they're not coming back. So Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh begins to pursue the people of, of, of Israel because he has greater need for them, right? Think about this. Two to three million slaves have been lost to the Egyptian people. That's like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Who's gonna build our stuff? How is this gonna accomplish? I don't know what, and now Pharaoh goes, oh no. No, we're not, we're not gonna go down that direction. We need those people back. And I want you to know that God has a plan that he has been orchestrating for years and it's moving forward. And the question is, are you gonna follow in obedience? Or do you continue to sit back and go, God, I got it. God, I'm okay. Listen, make no mistake about this, that God had this planned long ago. That God didn't go, oh my gosh, I don't know what's gonna happen. Pharaoh's gonna change his mind. God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient and omnipresent, he's around everything. And listen, he started this plan long ago and he's gonna go before you preparing the way. So it's important for us to understand that God will bring glory to himself through both the good and the bad. God wants to do more in the good, but God is always going to get the glory even in the bad. That's one of those things we see in Joseph, right? What man intended for evil, God used for good. 
The wickedness of Joseph's brothers led him into slavery, led him into serving the king. But it also leads him into delivering not just the Egyptians from the famine, but Israelites and his own family. And it becomes this thing that God says, listen, I'm going to get the glory because I'm going to do whether good or bad, I am going to receive the glory for all things. That's the sufficiency of God. That's the omniscience of God. That is the magnificence, magnificence of God. Right? There we go. Sorry. All right. So you got point three, right? If God provides a way to salvation when it seems like all hope is lost, then here's the third thing I can remember, that God's going to bring glory to himself. Here's number four. We often look at our situation before us and the past behind us and complain. Here's what happens in verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled... Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him and he took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now, here's one of the things you have to begin to understand what takes place. When you see this idea of the Lord hardened heart, in reality, what he did is he turned Pharaoh over to his own sin. In other words, he gave Pharaoh the freedom to choose the direction he wanted to go. And Pharaoh said, no way, I'm going this direction. So his heart is hardened by the sin that he's already trapped in. And I want you to know this. I'm going to be very clear. You want to continue pursuing sin... You want to continue going after the lusts and the desires of the world. God, at some point, is going to say, fine, I'm knocking on the door, but I'm going to let you go, and you're going to make a decision. That's the idea of basically turning your back on God and saying, I'm going to do it on my own. It's the opposite of repentance. Repentance is, God, I I confess that I don't know the way. I don't know what I'm doing. I, 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 I know that I'm wrong. I know that I need to confess my sins. And I turn and I face him and I say, listen, I'm here and I'm gonna follow you. But the idea of hardening my heart is I've turned my back to God and I'm not gonna listen to him. So what the idea is, is this. God says, fine, I'm just gonna turn you over to the lustful desires that you have in your heart, which we see played out in the New Testament, by the way. Then when people want to chase after sin, God finally says, fine, I'm going to turn you over to the lustful desires of your heart. What that means is this. You and I can dig our own holes. God's not digging the hole and going, hey, jump in. God's standing there going, no, 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 don't get in the hole. Matter of fact, don't dig a hole. There's, there's flat ground. Just turn around and follow me. But some of us, man, we like to dig a hole and we dig it deep. And so he literally turns that over. And in verse 9, it says, The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, horsemen, troops, pursued the Israelites, overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-ha-haroth, opposite of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after him. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Do you hear the outlook, the complaining, 
the negativity. God not only just did 10 plagues, 10 miracles to show his power and his authority over the Egyptian gods and over everything that's going on. God not only does that, but then he delivers them out and they're beginning to wander or walk towards the freedom, the promised land. And here's the people. I wish we would have just been back there. As a matter of fact, it would have been better. But you brought us out here because there's nowhere to die in Egypt. So you brought us out into the desert where we can die because it's a barren wasteland full of graves. Oh my gosh, get over yourself, right? Like, I th- can you imagine what God is thinking at this point? Like, how much more do I have to show you? How much more of my grace is sufficient for you do you have to get? How much more of my power is perfect in every circumstance, in every situation do I have to prove to you before you're going to walk in obedience? Listen, when we think about this, we oftentimes, and this is usually the situation in most people's lives, we look at our situation before us and the past behind us and we complain. Think about what's going on here. They have wandered, they've walked, they've got to a circumstance where the Red Sea is in front of them and the Egyptians are behind them. And what do they see? A dead end. That's what they see. They see no hope. A hopeless circumstances and hopeless situations. What the heck are we going to do now, Moses? You brought us out here to die, didn't you? I I just want to be like, listen, as a pastor... Some of you think that pastors and people within the church oftentimes want you to die. You're asking me to give up a life of sin. You're asking me to walk away from the things that have so easily entangled me. And I'm not going to joke around about this. I've had people go, really? You seriously want me to stop that? It's like, yeah. Do you want to walk in freedom? Or do you want to continue to walk in slavery? And here's what's crazy about the world. The world says, don't follow Jesus because he's going to cast a yoke of slavery on you. Which is the very opposite of what Jesus says, right? Jesus says that when you're trapped in your sin, you're bound by a yoke of slavery to your sin. And it easily entangles you and it weighs you down to the point where you feel like you can't move forward. So Jesus says, cast off your chains and follow me. Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to experience life, you experience life through me, through Christ and Christ alone. So the fourth thing is we look at our situation before us and the past behind us, and oftentimes we complain. Here's, here's in reality what's happened. This is the biggest temper tantrum you could ever see from two million people. Like if you could imagine what's going on, two to three million people basically crying out for the same thing. Like you think protests are bad when you got a couple hundred people. Try being Moses when you got two million, three million people throwing a fit. Could you imagine sitting there listening to it? And the fact that God's got to listen to it, it would be annoying. It'd be like, oh my gosh. And listen, sometimes slavery seems better than freedom, but slavery promises better outcomes, but in reality, it leads to death. That's literally what God is trying to tell us here. 
And here's what I believe that Moses is thinking. Don't tell me how big the obstacle is in front of you, but rather remind yourself how big the God is that you serve that can overcome the obstacles you face. That's the reality of what we have to see in Scripture. The Egyptian people are pursuing the Israelite people. The Israelite people look at the past and they look at the future and they go, there's no hope. They forgot about the power and the authority of God. And here's number five, that God does the fighting for us. God does the fighting for us. Look at verses 13 and 14 in chapter 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now this comes hard for me because I'm a fighter. Like my first mentality is fight. And listen to what he says. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Like my first response, and I'm going to tell you this point blank. My first response is we're going to fight. You just have to understand who I am. I, I, I go to a counselor and he asks me, he says, Brian, are you a fight or flight? And I said, well, let me tell you this. There's no such thing as the word flight in the grout vocabulary. And he goes, okay, I get it. <laughs> All right, that's the way it is. But listen, listen to what happens. And I want you to know what Moses is laying out. This lack of trust, even though God has showed his power in the plagues, plays out to where Moses is in reality being sarcastic. And to the point, Moses is saying, shut up. You may go, well, I don't teach my kids to say that. Did you know that, that when he, this whole idea of only be still, if you were to read it in the Hebrew, literally means you need to be quiet or shut up. Moses is saying, y'all need to shut up about complaining and learn to rest on the power and the authority of God. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, I don't like the way the NIV worded this entirely, and here's the reason why. I want to read the NAS and let you see what plays out here. Listen to what the NAS version says. Stand by, this is verse 13, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, not the deliverance the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You need to keep silent. I want you to know what plays out here is this. The Bible is very clear that the salvation comes through the Lord and the Lord alone. He is the one who does the work. He is the one who does the fighting. That Jesus went to the cross fighting for you and for me. He went to the cross to bear your burdens and your sins, to bear my burdens and my sins. And so salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. The beauty of salvation played out here for the Egyptians and the Israelites is this, that Jesus alone is the only way to salvation. Jesus bought and purchased our redemption from our sins and made us a way to have a relationship with God the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit. See, the work of salvation is a work of God, not of the people. It starts in the Old Testament and it goes all the way through the New Testament. That salvation alone is accomplished by God alone, through faith alone. God provides a way of escape where there is no hope seen. That's the cross. 
That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is what so many people find hard to believe. See, what people want to do in today's culture is, no, no, I'm going to build my own bridge. No, no, I'm going to fight the Egyptians. No, no, I'm going to take another way around. There's got to be another way. When the reality is Jesus is the only way. And what we see played out over the next little bit begins to let us see the beauty and the magnificence of God's salvation. See, we have to understand the context of this verse in light of what has just happened. God performed those 10 miraculous plagues. God's leading them out. And God does the fighting for them. It's important for us to apply that to our life. I want you to know that right now, some of you are probably thinking, yeah, but it's easy. I, I got so many things in my life I have to square away. I have to straighten myself out before I can ever follow Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. No, you don't. Jesus says, I came to justify you once. And I came to sanctify you or cleanse you constantly. Justification is an acknowledgement that I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to justify me, to make me right or righteous in God's eyes. And that's what he does on the cross. And sanctification is the ongoing work of God convicting of my sin, me confessing my sin, and me walking away from my sin to be a person who follows God consistently and obediently. When God commands me to move, I'm to move. And so God may be commanding you to say or calling you and saying, I, you need to acknowledge salvation for the first time today. That may be where your beginning point is. Here's the sixth thing I want us to see. When God commands us to move, we're to move forward even when we can't see the way. Listen to what he says In verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Why don't you keep that idea in mind? Move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I want you to see what plays out here. Because the Israelites go through the sea on dry ground. Dry ground. Here's another miracle in and of itself. God parts the Red Sea, it walls up on either side, and the ground just dries out. That's the supernatural deliverance of God, of his people across the chasm from death to life. I want you to know what this plays out pictured, basically what we see in the New Testament. That's a symbol of baptism. That God provides a way, and my baptism is my acknowledgement that I'm leaving the life of death and I am pursuing Jesus and I acknowledge Jesus as my savior. I confess my sins and I follow him. And that is a picture of baptism in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, you can go look it up in the New Testament where it talks about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's a picture of baptism that plays out in our life. So baptism is our confession of walking in obedience and saying Jesus is the only way. I acknowledge that and I believe that and I'm going to pursue him day in and day out because that's what he's called me to do. 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And Pharaoh, or and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Here, here's the big picture. The New Testament compares this to the old life and the new life. That if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And baptism is the division. Baptism is the public profession of faith. If you go into the New Testament, you didn't walk an aisle and make a profession and then you were baptized. If you were confessing, it was like, I'm gonna be baptized. As a matter of fact, on Easter Sunday, we're gonna celebrate baptism. I know there are some who wanna be baptized who have come to me, so we're gonna plan that. We're gonna get in contact with them. But if you're a person who has never put your faith and trust in Christ and you're saying, I wanna do that, we want you to be baptized. That is your profession of faith. That is the public statement. That is your obedience to what God has called us. Matter of fact, the Bible says to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey me in all things. See, when there seems to be no way, God makes a way. God didn't have to build a bridge. A bridge, that was too small. God's like, well, anybody could build a bridge. I mean, there would be an excuse of everything under the sun. That's what the, Israel, or the Egyptians did, right? All the wise people would show up for every plague. Well, look, we could do it this way, right? I can manipulate these circumstances. God's like, bridge, who needs a bridge? I'll just park the waters, dry out the ground. You guys can walk through on dry ground. Israelites see it. They follow it. They do it. That leads us to verse 7 or, or number 7. God provides the only way out of slavery and into freedom. Jesus is acknowledged in John as the gate. Jesus is also acknowledged as the way, the truth, and the life. What we see played out here is this, that God's way of deliverance, there was only one way. That was forward. In obedience, passionately pursuing the direction that God had led because God was leading. Keep that in mind. God is always leading his people. And here's what I love about this text and what goes on. As God provides the only way out of slavery and into freedom, it throws Egypt into chaos. Matter of fact, listen to what it says in the following verses. It says, Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind him. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood between them. Here's what ends up happening. God goes from providing a way and being in front to saying, I'm going to go behind as a hedge of protection against the works of the enemy, Satan. And the angel of the Lord is back there. And what's he do? He throws the Egyptians into chaos and turmoil. The wheels of their chariots begin to fall off. It says, it says, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night. Then Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and all night the Lord drove back the sea. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, and a wall of water on the right and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud and the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them and against Egypt. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place and the Egyptians were fleeing toward it. And the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through with the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on the right and left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Listen, most of us ask the question, what has God done for me lately? And I think the first question you have to ask is this. Do I trust in what God did for me first? God provides a way when there seemed to be no way. Matter of fact, that's kind of an old school hymn, right? For those of you who grew up in church, you might be thinking about that. Oftentimes, it's easy to look back at our circumstances, our past, the things that are going on in our life, and to think, there's no hope. When there's always hope, Jesus is the hope. That Jesus made the way. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way to salvation. And it's important for us to play that out and understand what goes on. The Israelites could have looked for other ways, but they would have never found a way. As a matter of fact, they would have died as a result of it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you this question. Do you trust in salvation through Jesus Christ alone? Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of this world, that we may experience life and life more abundantly. And so his death on the cross paid the price for our sins. And he goes to the grave and he defeats sin, and he defeats death by rising again. Listen, that's the road to redemption. There is only one road. The Bible says it's the narrow road. And Jesus is calling you today to follow him. Do not harden your heart. Do not be dismayed. Turn from the sin that so easily entangles and cry out to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the only way to salvation. God, we pray today that you would just guard us, guide us, and convict us. God, maybe there's some today that have never placed their faith and trust in Christ and they just need to walk out in obedience and say, I'm, I'm doing that today. I am serving you. I'm laying it all on the line. I offer myself as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Father, maybe some of us have just turned and we're thinking about the past. We're thinking about how much easier it might have been to, to walk in the slavery to sin, to continue down that path when you have so much more in store. You have a life in front of us that you want to give us, that you offer us, that would be a life of obedience, 
a life of passionate pursuit of you day in and day out because you want to do great things in and through us. So maybe it's a person just to turn and say, Lord, I confess. I repent of my sins. God, I've already, I've already placed my faith and trust in you. I'm, I've been baptized, but I want to follow you day in and day out. Give me the desire to follow you, to walk in obedience to pursue you when I feel like there's just nothing but a wall before me, God, would you make a way? Church, we're going to close with the song here. And the cry may be for just simply for you that you pray. You may pray where you're at. You may have a desire to come up here and pray at the altar. But God has made a way where we saw a dead end And God gives us life by delivering us across a sea to the promised land. Jesus, may you be exalted and praised in all things. It's in your name we pray. Amen.